Hello, and welcome to the SWIB podcast, where members of the Wisconsin Retirement System can turn for timely information on the investments that help fund the state's pension system. I'm Chris Preisler, Communications Specialist for the State of Wisconsin Investment Board, or SWIB. And I'm Dusty Weiss, producer of the podcast. Office buildings, warehouses, and apartment complexes dot the landscape from coast to coast. They are common landmarks that we usually pass by every day without a second thought. We know these brick and mortar spaces are important to a thriving economy, but what might surprise you is how important they are to SWIB's investment strategy. SWIB's real estate portfolio helps diversify the core trust fund and has generated an impressive track record of investment performance, which has greatly benefited the Wisconsin retirement system, helping keep it fully funded and well positioned to deliver on its promise to over 652,000 participants. So in this episode of the SWIB podcast, we're going to look at how SWIB's real estate portfolio plays an important part in SWIB's asset allocation. We're going to talk to Private Markets and Funds Alpha Chief Investment Officer Anne-Marie Fink and Jason Rothenberg, Head of Real Estate, about the history behind SWIB's real estate portfolio, the types of investments being made, and what the outlook is for the remainder of this year and beyond. The SWIB podcast is a regular opportunity for you to learn more about the people and funds that comprise the Wisconsin retirement system. Please make sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Share this podcast with your fellow WRS members and leave a review on iTunes so it's easier for other members to find this show. Today, we welcome back to the SWIB podcast, Anne-Marie Fink. Anne-Marie is SWIB's Private Markets and Funds Alpha Chief Investment Officer. Anne-Marie was guest on Episode 7 of the SWIB podcast last year, so if you missed that, go check that one out. And Anne-Marie joined SWIB in 2020 to head the Private Markets and Funds Alpha division. Anne-Marie's got more than two decades of investment management experience, both in the public and private sectors. She's served as the Chief Investment Officer for the Employees Retirement System of Rhode Island and for a large family office, and she started her investment career at J.P. Morgan, where she spent more than 15 years as an equity and hedge fund analyst. Prior to joining SWIB, she was at State Street Global Advisors, where she was the portfolio strategist for alternative investments, and Anne-Marie earned a Bachelor of Arts degree from Yale and an MBA from Columbia University Business School. And joining Amory today is Jason Rothenberg. Jason is head of SWIB's real estate portfolio. He joined SWIB in 2011. He earned his bachelor's degree from the University of Virginia, his master's degree in environmental management from Duke University, and his MBA in real estate from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Jason's prior work experience includes serving as the director of finance for a real estate development company and in public policy roles with the Office of Management and Budget and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Anne-Marie and Jason, welcome to the SWIB podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks. It's great to be here. When people think of investing their money, the first thing that usually comes to mind is stocks. But SWIB invests in a number of different strategies other than stocks, including real estate. SWIB has a long history of investing in real estate. Jason, can you talk about the history of the portfolio and why having a real estate portfolio is important? Sure, Chris. Always happy to talk real estate. So it's been regarded as a leader in using real estate to help build a diversified investment portfolio for a long time. In fact, investment reports dating all the way back to SWIB's inception in 1951 show some level of exposure to real estate, both as a direct owner of property and as a commercial mortgage lender. It was really in the early 1980s that SWIB went a step further by adding dedicated staff solely focused on building out the real estate equity portfolio, which was relatively uncommon for a pension plan in those days, and helped SWIB take advantage of what was then a relatively inefficient market. 
Another important evolution, both for SWIB and the industry as a whole, was the launch of what are called opportunistic real estate funds in the late 1980s that were created to buy assets available at distressed prices as a result of the savings and loan crisis. Throughout this whole period, though, SWIB built critical industry relationships, many of which are still important to us today as we continue to grow the portfolio in size and sophistication. As it has been since the 1950s, the real estate asset class is an important source of diversification for the core trust fund, helping to reduce volatility, create more consistency in returns, improve overall performance, and provide some inflation protection. And today, the portfolio sits within SWIB's private markets and funds alpha division. You know, I think it's really brilliant that SWIB is able to find this other investment vehicle and all these other investment vehicles, in fact. But how does the real estate portfolio fit into the overall investment strategy at SWIB today? Real estate represents about 8% of the core trust fund. And so it's an important piece that's about $10.3 billion. And it's in broadly diversified real estate. So we've got everything from office buildings, retail stores, apartments, industrial and warehouse properties, as well as other specialty sectors like buildings with labs in them student housing, and even a little bit of hospitality or hotels. The majority of our portfolio is domestic, so in the United States, though we do have a few international investments for some diversification. So you mentioned that about 8% of the core fund is invested in real estate. How does SWIB determine how much should be invested in real estate? So in October of each year, the investment staff and SWIB's asset allocation consultant undertakes an asset allocation review and makes a recommendation to the board. And so that review will look on an in-depth basis at current market and economic conditions and themes, as well as identifying developing trends that might impact our investment decisions. So we're basically trying to take a forward look at where the best opportunities are across the portfolio. And in addition to to that systematic annual asset allocation review, we also look at stress tests. So we want to test how the portfolio would do in a stressed environment. And so we do that every day. We look at stress, but we do a robust kind of in-depth stress testing of the system on an every other year basis or every two years and incorporate that. So those two things we kind of put together where the opportunities are, where we see the risks, and then we come up with an asset allocation across the portfolio. So for real estate, the current target is actually 7%, but we have a range that goes from 4 percent to 10 percent for real estate. And then given the relative stability of real estate and actually real estate year to date's actually having a pretty good year, then there's been volatility in other parts of our portfolio. The real estate portfolio actually sits at about 8% of the core trust fund. It sounds like there's definitely some flexibility in real estate's asset allocation there, and, and it sounds like that's a pretty important feature of it. But why might you have to adjust within that range, and why is it important to have that flexibility? So I think one of the most important innovations that SWIB has for our private investment assets is what we call the corridor treatment. So the reason the range or corridor is crucial is because private assets cannot be traded easily. As anyone who has bought or sold a house knows, or particularly if you sold a house, it can take months to do that. And in the case of our large office buildings or warehouses, it can even take longer than that. So we never want our asset allocation targets to require us to sell an asset too quickly or when the timing is not right, when the market's not particularly good to sell something. So this corridor treatment, which gives us a range in which our allocation has to be, allows us to avoid forced sales. 
Another reason why that's important is that you also have something that we call the denominator effect. So if you think about our asset allocation to real estate, it's a percentage, right? So the numerator is how much do we own in real estate and the denominator is how much is the entire core trust fund worth. So because private assets, the valuations tend to move more slowly, but public assets, which are the core of the denominator, the core trust fund, those move a lot. You can see that the value of the denominator can go down. And so our percentage can go up, even if we're not doing anything with our real estate portfolio, the percentage can go up because the denominator has gone down. And that's actually something that we've experienced this year. You know, it's been a tough year with equities. And so our denominator has gone down. And so a a large part of the reason that our real estate portfolio is above the target is because the denominator has gone down. And again, we don't want to have to sell just because of reasons like that, because it's usually a bad time to sell when your denominator is going down. The other thing that's really good about this corridor treatment is not only are we not for sellers, it also means that we can be active and on our front foot at a time when other people, because this denominator effect, it tends to affect everybody in the markets. So there's a lot of people whose private allocations today are higher than their target. And so as long as we're in the range, we don't have to worry so much about our target. We can go and buy private assets at a time when other people are for forced sellers of them. So this corridor treatment is a huge advantage for SWIB and lets us to continue to execute on our long-term strategy when markets are rocky. And in investing, consistency of strategy is one of the most important drivers of long-term returns. It's an important part of what we call the SWIB edge. So right now you're at 8% of the core fund. How is that 8% invested? What type of exposure do you have to the various types of properties the portfolio is invested in? So our two largest weightings by property type in the current portfolio are two industrial buildings or warehouses and apartments, which are known in the industry as multifamily. And together, those make up about 50% of our portfolio. We found those two property types to be good sources of durable cash flow over time. Office buildings and retail properties like shopping centers make up about 20 to 25% of the portfolio. We'll get into how these property types have been impacted by the pandemic, but one of the things we're mindful of is how much capital it takes to keep properties well-occupied and attractive options for potential tenants. So broadly speaking, office buildings and certain types of retail properties require a lot of reinvestment, which for SWIB means less of a regular income distribution and more volatile returns. The rest of our portfolio is in what we call alternative or specialty sectors like Ambry addressed earlier, like life science or lab buildings, medical office buildings, student housing properties, and data centers. These property types have become a much more important part of an institutional investor's real estate portfolio and are supported by strong secular tailwinds. So I certainly don't have the uh, real estate expertise that is assembled here, but I have watched a lot of house hunters. And when buying a home, one of the things that we always hear is location, location, location. So what are some of the hot markets right now, Amory? So it's interesting. The pandemic has really accelerated the trend of people moving into the Sunbelt markets and actually really decelerated the trend of what we call the gateway markets. So the big markets like New York and San Francisco. So those markets actually were very challenged during the pandemic. And we're seeing markets like Austin, Phoenix, Nashville, and Tampa have been particularly strong performers of late. 
So other than the great weather, especially in the winter in those markets, what makes those markets so attractive? Well, weather helps, but a lot of real estate investing and success in real estate investing is understanding demographics and growth patterns. So 10 years ago, the key themes were reurbanization, people moving back to the cities, businesses relocating from the suburbs back into the cities. But as a large millennial cohort has gotten older and started to progress through normal life changes like getting married, having families, there's been a noticeable shift towards markets that offer high quality of life, including good weather, but also the potential for more space and a lower cost of living. In many ways, this is actually a benefit to SWIB as the increased transaction activity and the demand from institutional capital across a broader base of markets gives us more to pick from when we're trying to construct our portfolios. So we've certainly read about, and I know some friends that have gone through personally, how competitive the single family home market has been recently. Is it competitive in the commercial property space as well right now, Jason? Yeah, very much so. So even with the volatility in the public markets and the rise in interest rate, there continues to be a lot of capital seeking to invest in real estate. And this capital is coming not only from institutions like SWIB, but also individual investors. And so what's happening is this is resulting in a highly competitive process, not only for single asset or property sales, but also access to best in class managers. Fortunately, as I mentioned earlier, SWIB's been in this business an awfully long time, and we've been able to leverage our many industry relationships and our efficient investment process to continue to find good opportunities that meet the objectives of the portfolio and the Wisconsin retirement system. As you said, SWIB is currently or has invested in a range of different types of properties from industrial to apartments to office buildings. So in the past, I know that the portfolio has even included some iconic properties. Can you give us some examples of the types of properties that are in SWIB's portfolio? Yeah, I think it might be most helpful to talk through some recent transactions that we've made as it really highlights some of the broader investment themes that we've been focused on. So one example is a life science or a lab office building in South San Francisco. So as opposed to buildings that house traditional office tenants, life science buildings remain open and fully utilized all throughout the pandemic, given the mission critical nature of the work that goes on there. South San Francisco is one of a handful of life science clusters that benefit from companies that really want to locate near one another and near talent, especially important given the war for talent that we hear about so often. And we expect that market in the building to continue to do well. Another example worth mentioning is a new industrial building that we're working on in the Phoenix area. While we don't do too much new development given our focus on current cash flow, newly built warehouse space has been in high demand given the continued expansion of e-commerce and the need to rethink the supply chain, particularly in high growth markets like Phoenix. A last example I might mention is where we do try to take advantage of markets that are less efficient. So COVID was obviously really challenging for hotels, but as we've already seen over the past several months, people are ready to get back out, reconnect, and have shared experiences. We recently invested in a hotel in Atlanta, what we thought was an attractive purchase price, where we expect continued growth in population and employment will help support a robust recovery in the hospitality sector. So when you find these opportunities, how does SWIB invest? Are you buying real estate directly? Well, to give ourselves as much flexibility as we can, especially in a competitive marketplace, we invest using a number of structures. One is called a separate account, where SWIB will typically own 100% of a building, but we also use joint ventures, open and closed-end fund structures. Given the size of the portfolio, regardless of the structure, we do rely on professional third-party managers to execute our business. That said, we always prefer to have visibility into and some say over the individual buildings and portfolios that we're owning. I lead a team of six in-house professionals that oversee the portfolio, many of whom, including myself, have previous experience working for developers, owners, and operators of real estate. So we do tend to like to overlay our own judgment alongside that of our managers to make sure everything we're doing is in the best interest of plan participants. It's also important to note the role of our team's active asset management in maximizing the value of our assets. 
In some cases, we're making a decision whether to hold or sell a particular property or when and how much to reinvest in terms of upgrading the fixtures and finishes in an apartment or redoing the common area of an office building. In other cases, we can actively decide to redeem our interest in our particular fund structure so that we can redeploy the capital when we feel there are better investment opportunities elsewhere. So moving from COVID-driven restrictions to reopenings obviously had a large impact on the commercial real estate markets. What types of trends are you seeing now? Yeah, it's truly been a remarkable couple of years plus in the real estate markets. We went from a period where many assets were shut down or barely used given stay-at-home mandates with a lot of focus on rent collections and rent relief. And now we're sending new all-time highs for property level returns and rent growth for certain property types. In terms of what we're seeing now, I should caveat it by saying that everything feels it's on a little bit less solid footing given the uncertainty in inflation interest rates in the overall economy. It takes a while for conditions like higher borrowing costs to flow through to private market real estate pricing, and we're constantly monitoring how changes may impact our current holdings as well as create new investment opportunities. As Amory noted, the ability to be flexible and nimble has really been key to our investment success. That said, the pandemic and the associated growth in e-commerce and disruption in the supply chain has really turbocharged the industrial property markets. Vacancies are at all-time lows and rents are still growing at robust levels as companies continue to figure out what space they need to ensure that they can provide consumers what they want when they want it. A second trend worth mentioning is the recent rent growth in apartments, particularly in some of those hot markets Amory mentioned earlier. You've had a perfect storm of people moving to certain cities with an increased ability to pay higher rents due to a tight job market and salary increases in an environment where construction costs keep moving up, making it more challenged to deliver new product. Yeah. And COVID really impacted the real estate capital markets as well. So transaction volume, so the number of deals in 2020 were over 26% lower than in 2019. So the market was quite frozen as everyone waited to try and figure out what the impact of COVID would be on real estate. We saw a nice rebound in 2021, particularly at the end of the year, the fourth quarter, and $628 billion of total real estate traded in the year, which was a 33% increase over the 2019 level. So not even over the lower level, but over a kind of more normal year. Along the lines of Jason's comments on operational trends, sales volume was the highest in industrial and the multifamily sectors. So that is in warehouses and apartment buildings, where buyers were attracted by the potential for above inflation rent growth. And up until kind of earlier this year, you could take advantage of significantly low cost financing. So these preferences in what investors wanted to buy, as well as the performance in individual properties, led to substantial dispersion among different asset classes within the different property types. All right. So as previously stated, my expertise probably not up there with you guys. Can you define that one for me? Substantial dispersion between property types and subtypes? What's that all about? One of the primary data sources for real estate investors is the Nick Reef Property Index, which is a data set that tracks performance for over 10,000 individual properties. And the one-year return for this index for calendar year 2021 was close to 18%, which is a pretty big number. However, within that, industrial properties or warehouses returned over 40%, while retail and office properties were closer to 5%. So this is what we're talking about. This spread of the dispersion between the best and worst performing property types is really unusual and was at record levels over the past year or so. And we talk about 
about subtypes within that, we're talking about categories within the major property types. And we've seen large levels of dispersion or spreads between returns there as well. As an example, again, for 2021 neighborhood retail centers, which cater to daily needs and include places like grocery stores and pharmacies, outperform regional malls by close to 9%. So you touched on this a little bit, how the COVID pandemic has really changed how we think of offices. There are some executives that believe there are advantages to both working in an office and working from home. And it appears that as Americans return to work, they likely will be doing a little bit of both. How has this shift impacted the real estate portfolio? You know, I still feel like office is in very much a wait and see period. And so the pandemic taught us that people value flexibility and not having to commute every day, right? Which makes a lot of sense. I don't like to commute either. But it's also taught us that it's hard to onboard new people and build culture entirely remotely. So I think you're going to see a tension between the two that's going to play out over the next couple of years. SWIB's office buildings benefit from long-term leases. And generally speaking, office tenants continue to pay rent whether their employees were going into the office or not. I think what's more interesting given these trends is what the office of the future is going to look like. What we're seeing is that newer and newly redeveloped office space with lots of amenities, places for people to collaborate, and attention to building systems and management that promote health and wellness are attracting tenants. It's the older commodity product that's more likely to struggle. Fortunately, we don't have too much exposure to those sorts of buildings, and we also have more tools at our disposal to renovate or repurpose assets than the typical owner. So despite some of the challenges over the past couple of years, the portfolio has been able to meet its objectives by generating strong returns, not just recently, but over the long term. Can you talk a little bit about the portfolio's performance, Jason? So like other asset classes, real estate prices have benefited from the fiscal and monetary stimulus put in the system to respond to COVID. So the portfolio's one-year return for the period ending March 31st is over 20%, a pretty robust number for a primarily core real estate portfolio. But over the longer term, which is where we like to focus given the illiquid nature of private real estate and SWIB's long-term investment horizon, the portfolio's five-year return is close to 9%, and the 10-year return is right around 11%, so making an important contribution to the overall health of the Wisconsin retirement system. As I'm sure you can guess from my earlier comments, particularly for a one-year return and even the five-year number, it's been our industrial and apartment exposures that have been the biggest contributors to return, along with some of those specialty sectors like lab or life science office buildings. Yeah. And after a somewhat more challenging year in 2020, when the real estate portfolio had a 2% return overall, that portfolio really delivered in 2021, generating about $1.3 billion in absolute returns. Equally important, the skill of Jason and the rest of our real estate team allowed the portfolio to beat our benchmark by about $185 million, which was a meaningful percentage of the $721 million of outperformance across the entire core trust fund. Our ability to invest for the long term and stay the course during a more difficult period like 2020 was a key element in generating those 2021 returns. And we have been able to contribute to the $2.2 billion in added value that SWIB has generated for the core trust fund over the past five years. So real estate's been an important part of that added value. Well, Amory and Jason, I always tell Chris, but my favorite episodes of the SWIB podcast are the ones where I get to learn just a ton of new information about a subject that I thought I knew something about already. And this has certainly been one of those opportunities. So thank you both so much for joining us and being guests on the SWIB podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks. And thank you to all our listeners for checking out this episode of the SWIB podcast. The SWIB podcast is brought to you by the State of Wisconsin Investment Board and produced by PodCamp Media. Branded podcast production for businesses, podcampmedia.com. Our producer is Larry Kilgore III. Thanks again for listening. I'm Chris Preisler. And I'm Dusty Weiss.